This is a podcast of Forest Lake Baptist Church Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit our Facebook page or our website at flbc.org.au. We hope you're blessed by this message. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Forest Lake Baptist. And can I just say, like, I was struck this morning through every part of our service, how blessed are we by the young people leading worship and then young people stepping up to leadership God is raising up the next generation. We are just so incredibly blessed. And year after year, we see God raise people up. And I just want to stop for a minute and say, thank you, Jesus. Because I think there comes a point at times for us as a church where we just kind of take that for granted because God just keeps doing it, right? But it's important that we stop and say, thank you, Jesus. And I'm just overwhelmed this morning by how God does what he does. It's incredible. So let's stop for a minute, and I'm going to, uh, apparently a few weeks ago, my daughter Chloe gave a talk at youth group for her first time, and one of the other youth leaders said to me, oh, she's a chip off the old block, um, and I said, why, what did she do that made you say that? And apparently she stopped in the middle of the talk and said, I'm going to pray and just give you a moment to name something for yourself, and then I'll keep going, because apparently something I do all the time, so there you go, Fruit, uh, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but we're going to do that again. I'm going to leave a spot in the prayer and I just want you to say out loud something for which you are giving God thanks today. Something you're just, God, thank you for that. Have something you don't thank him often enough for that you take for granted. And let's do that now. Heavenly Father, as we see those young people gathered in the center of the room there, the third year in a row we've had Project 11. And we already know some of the people we want to invite to be part of it next year. We see you continue to do that. We see you continue to meet our needs financially. You give us favour in the school so that we can keep meeting in these amazing facilities. You raise up young people uh, and uh, people of all ages, really, to be part of kids' ministry and youth ministry and uh, breakfast club and playgroup, men's ministry, women's ministry. Uh, Lord, the list just goes on and on and on. You just keep granting favour. And so, Father, it's, it just becomes when it's so normal for us that we can take it for granted. We're sorry for, that we take for granted your blessings to us. And we take this moment now to name some things for which we are gra- grateful today. Go ahead, church, and name it out loud. Come on, be bold. There's more than that. Lord, thank you for all those things. Thank you that you are so generous to us. And on a day like today, when it's like 90% humidity, we find ourselves whinging about the humidity, and yet we're not suffering through bushfires, and we don't have bombs dropping on us from Russia, and we live in a safe society and a law-abiding society. And we can meet here in complete freedom without any risk of the police kicking in the door to drag us away because we name the name of Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, when we become so consumed with ourselves that we think this is just about entertainment. Help us to be grateful, to be truly, deeply grateful. 
because you are a good, good father who gives good things to his children. We are so incredibly grateful. And we are grateful for your word, Lord. We're grateful that you speak to us. We're grateful that you have spoken in the past and you continue to speak. Speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're coming to the fourth week of our four-week vision series where we're looking at what are the four things we want to see typify us, characterize us as a church into the future. After this, just for you, uh, so you're aware, after we finish this, we're then going to move into back to Mark and we are going to finally finish the Gospel of Mark after three years and that will take us through to Easter. Then we're actually going to do a series on the life of King David. And so that's where we're sort of heading over the next few months as a church. But we've had a series of words over the last three weeks about what we want to be as a church in the next, you know, gen- next season of our church life. We want to be seen in our community, reflecting our community, serving our community, and today, shaping our community. And one of the verses that really stood out to me as we were praying through this and thinking about this is a passage in Philippians chapter 2. Sarah read the beginning of this chapter, and now we're going to pick it up from verse 12, and really we're going to get into this passage today. One of the problems with this passage, let me say this by way of introduction, is that if you've been in church for a while, this is an incredibly familiar passage. And yet, the problem with familiar passages is we can sometimes lose the power of them. We almost need to come to them afresh anew to say again, Lord, what are you saying to me here? My prayer is that we will do that today. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing." The very first word of that passage, therefore, and if again, if you've been part of this church for a while, you, you will know one of my favorite sayings, if there is a therefore, ask what it's there for. We only understand this passage if we understand what has gone before. And what's just gone before is Paul saying to the Philippians, be united, be as one, because adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is believed to be possibly the earliest hymn of the church. It's it's believed that Paul took that uh, from maybe even something like a hymn sheet. And it was one of the earliest things the church would sing together. I would love to some, see someone put that to music again. And that becomes something we could sing. What's Paul's point? The way we understand how we are to relate to one another in the church is by looking to the cross. 
So often we say as a church that we should only ever minister out of the grace we receive from God. Because if we truly understand grace, we'll understand two things. That we are in desperate need of a saviour. All of us. And that that saviour is Jesus Christ. Tim Keller famously said, this is the gospel. That you are more wicked than you ever dared believed. And yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. When we get off track, it's because we don't quite get the point of one of those two parts. You are more wicked than ever dared believed. And yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. Sometimes we don't accept the seriousness of sin. That sin is serious. It is an affront to the God of the universe. And he takes it so seriously. And the cost of our sin was so dire that the Son of God himself had to die on a cross. And yet there's the hope. He did it. Jesus did it for us. And Paul's point is, if that is how Jesus was, if that's how much Jesus loved you, if that's how he showed his love for his church, then that's your attitude amongst one another. That you will love one another selflessly and with unrestrained love of one another. See, he says in verse 5, this is the attitude you're to have among you. So often we think that church is a place for entertainment, that church is a place where I come to get what I want. And some some of you will think, oh, he's probably talking about those churches where they have really amazing music. But, you know, sometimes I think it can also apply to churches that have really amazing long sermons because I come in, I get a feed and I go away saying, behold, I am wise because I've learned something today. That's actually making it all about me. Church is a place where we shape one another, where we love one another, where we form one another through the lens of the cross. And so Paul says, therefore, if that's how it is, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that verse has twisted me in knots over the years. Because over and over I've read that and I've thought, well, hang on a minute. I don't have to work out my salvation, do I? Jesus has done that on the cross. Isn't that the point of what he just said? Isn't that the whole point of him saying Jesus went to the cross for me? Then what does he mean I am working out my salvation? And for the longest time I thought to myself, I think what he means is Jesus has done this for me. Therefore, I need to see the effects of his salvation worked out in my life. That was up until about four days ago. And what has changed my mind just this week on how I understand this verse is because I read a a commentary called the African Bible Commentary. And if you haven't got it, I'd recommend you get it. If you ever see it on sale, get it. And one of the things he says around this verse, the guy who ever wrote the commentary on this verse, is the problem with Westerners, the way they read this verse, is they read it as Westerners, where everything is individual. I work out my salvation. Catherine works her out, serve out her salvation. You work out your salvation. You work, it sound like Oprah now, don't I? You work out your salvation. You work, everyone gets a car. No, no. What he's saying is, 
The whole passage up to this point and everything that comes after is about the community of the church. So why would he suddenly now change tact and say this is talking about the individual? No, this is about community. You work out this salvation that is ours. You work it out. You put it into practice as the church of God, not just individually. And it is true that Jesus died for us, rose again, and we need to work in accordance with the Holy Spirit to see the sanctification come in our lives. But that's not the point of this verse. This verse is saying, you as the body of Christ, you work out your salvation. You see how it comes together in your life because God is at work in you. Because when we do, God is at work in us. This lifts our eyes as to what is going on when we gather together. We don't just gather together to sing a few songs, eat some awesome sausages, and sorry, sandwiches, and then listen to a sermon where he can't even get his words out properly. That's not what we do. We don't walk away from here going, well, did I enjoy that or did I not? No, 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 no. When we are together, if we read this passage, what we should walk away saying was, how did I help shape someone else today and how was I shaped? My old man taught me a lot of lessons in life. And one of the lessons when I was a young bloke was I didn't want to go to, some, to church, I think. And he said to me, mate, you're going to church. I said, I oh, know, I know, because I have to. I know, it's good for me, blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, 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 it's not about you, mate. Not everything's about you. Which to an only child is quite a significant amount of news. Never quite understood that. He said, you don't go for you. You go for someone else. You go to be a blessing for someone else. And the remarkable thing is, when we go and be a blessing to someone else, we're blessed, aren't we? Is that not what Jesus said? It is more blessed to give than to receive. If we go into a thing, anything, if we go into anything looking to receive, we will end up being disappointed because it will never quite reach the standard we want. But if we go in to be a blessing, it's amazing how often we are blessed. And so Paul says, work it out together. Work out this salvation with fear and trembling. Take it seriously. For it is God who is working in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. Now, every word of this passage is just carries so much weight. I love it. It's not just according to his purpose, it's according to his good purpose. That when we are together and we work out God's salvation together, when we encourage one another, when we bless one another, when we serve one another, when we correct one another, we are actually doing something that Almighty God from eternity past ordained for that to happen in that moment. Wow! When Daniel Grandemage, who is a brother, has been, we've been in this church together since I've been here, comes to me and says, Mark, you said that thing in the meeting and it concerned me. Are you okay? And he will because he's a brother. And he doesn't send me a message. He doesn't text me. He doesn't phone me. He comes and he speaks to me and says, are you doing okay? And I say, no, actually, mate, I'm not. And he says, let me pray for you. That moment 
was ordained by the, according to this passage, according to God's good purpose from eternity past. He just participated in eternity. Oh, lift our eyes to what is going on in God's body. And what's it going to look like when we get it right? Well, he tells us, do everything without grumbling and arguing. I mean, isn't it good that the modern church has moved on from needing to be told this? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never heard anyone grumble in church about worship music. Too loud. It was too old. It was too long. It was too short. Why do we sing so many choruses? Why don't we sing them enough? How about we say, thank God for the young people who are up here serving us. How about thank God for the people who are willing to stand out in the car park in the rain and go, gee, Jesus, thank you for them. See, the the modern attitude is, give me what I want. Paul's attitude is, I'm blessed. Do nothing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. There is nothing that so undermines the testimony of the church as the disunity of the church. I'll say that again. There is nothing that so undermines the testimony of the church as the disunity in the church. But there is nothing that so profoundly proclaims Jesus as this group of people coming together and forgiving one another, loving one another, sharing one another, correcting one another, blessing one another. And to what standard, to to what level is God calling us to do that? Well, go back to the start of the passage, the cross. See, we say something to the effect of, oh, I have forgiven that person, but I'm not talking to them. Imagine if that was the standard Jesus took. Oh, I've forgiven you, but don't bother praying to me because I'm not interested in hearing from you. I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. If the standard is Jesus, then the standard is Jesus. Isn't it? That's it. Do nothing. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. See, when we get it right, when we get it right, when we focus on Jesus, when we live like Jesus, when we love each other and bless one another and share with one another like Jesus, then we shine like stars in a generation that is saying, it's all about me, just give me what I want. Here is a body of people saying, actually, it's not about me. We don't even just exist for our sake. We exist for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ and for everyone else to hear about Jesus. That stands out so that Paul can say, you'll be like stars. And we hear that and we go, well, stars are pretty. I'd like to be a twinkle, twinkle little star. But that's exactly not what he's about. Stars in Paul's day were not just about twinkle, twinkle little star, how I wonder what you are. They were things that gave navigational help. They would work out when to plant the crops by the stars. They learned to read the seasons by the stars. They learned there was better to travel at night if there were stars in the sky and not cloudy because you were safer. You see, the point of the stars is not just to be pretty. The point of the stars is to help the people who are guided by the stars. 
So that I think Paul is thinking back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, when it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Because what are we holding forth? The word of life. Now, what does he mean there? My first instinct is to read that and go, he's talking about the Bible. But I don't think he is. I think he's talking about Jesus, the Word. If he wanted to talk about the Bible, he'd probably say the Scriptures. But when he says holding firm the Word of life, he's talking about the message of Jesus. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. See, here's the thing. Who are we shaping when we talk about shaping our community? Are we talking about shaping this community? Or are we talking about shaping that community? And the answer is yes. Because as we shape this community well, as we point each other closely, dearly, more to Jesus, the rest of the world will see I've been reading a book called When Narcissism Comes to Church. It's a really happy, fun time book. You can listen, read one chapter at a time and then take a break. And there's a quote in there by a lady named uh, Hirsch. I can't remember her first name. I think it'll come up on the slide. Sharon Hirsch. And she says, our community now, our world, particularly in the West, is so consumed by self and narcissism and what I want that what we actually need is a a, a tectonic earthquake. The, the, The plates of the earth itself need to be broken and the church is in a position to do it. Where we show something profoundly, completely different. She says this, we need a tectonic shift to an interconnectedness that invades every nook and cranny of our lives. Can we raise children that aren't entitled? Can we talk about politics without dividing family and friends? Can we believe in God without leaving some people out? Imagine little earthquakes everywhere that change the shape of everything distorted by narcissism, that change the shape of us. As we are changed, the world around us will be changed. That is a tectonic shift. And the outcome, Paul says, that I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labour for nothing, Do you see the flow of the passage? Here is Jesus. Here is the cross, which makes us into a countercultural community that changes the culture of the community around us that ultimately leads to praise to Jesus on the day when he comes again. That's the mission of the church. That's what happens when we live and love and care and share for each other like Jesus. So what does it mean for us? The first is it means we actually need to engage with each other in the life of the church. This is not enough. We're not going to know each other well enough here. But in life groups and in ministry teams and in doing life 
having dinners for eight with people, by doing coming to prayer meetings. That is where we do life on life together. But it also means when people look at us, they will see something different. Next Saturday, we're going to do a working bee here at the school. I don't know how many people the school thinks are we going to have come. I hope we explode their expectations. I hope they're standing around going, boy, we have underestimated how much work we can get done today because the number of people from the church who have come to, to love our community. But we would be wrong if we think the point is just what we do next Saturday. They will watch us to see how we do it how we care for one another, how we love one another, how we're patient with one another, how we deserve one another, how we shape our community affects the community around us. One of the things I love about our life group is that we talk about how we're going individually to make me better and how I shape my world around me. It's both. And so as you leave today, we've still got some of these cards left. Our eyes are on you. Because ultimately, this isn't about what we can do. It starts with the cross. It ends with the day of Christ. Our eyes are on Jesus. But if we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, and not just, just me and just you and just you, but us, it will change the way we do life. Some years ago, we uh, started handing out water at the lake on Anzac Day, something we've done now, I think, every year for, I think it's about 15 years. And I got a phone call from a pastor of another church in, I think, in Toowoomba. It's either Toowoomba or Warwick, one of, the, one, one of those two. And he rang me up and he said, oh, we've just had a lady start attending the church. And I just wanted to let you know why she said she started attending she came to an Anzac Day parade in Forest Lake and she was given a bottle of water by your church. But what she was struck by was how the people in your church spoke to each other and spoke to her. And after decades of not going to church, she thought, I'm going to give it another go. She became a Christian. When we get this right eternities change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be this community. And it's going to be countercultural. It's going to go against everything that our world says is the way to do things. But we want to be that community. We don't want to just go about doing things the way we've always done them, because that's the way we've always done them. Help us to look to the good of others to work out your salvation of us in community, to be a countercultural community, to see how we form one another, how we shape one another, how we disciple one another. And Lord, as we do that well by your Holy Spirit, I pray more people will come to know the name of Jesus Christ. Make us that community, we pray. So that like Paul, we can boast on the day of the Lord Jesus. We did not work in vain. For it's in his name and for his praise. Amen.